Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Somehow, God is in me, and there's a sense in which I am like God and man all at once. Many religions claim that we will all eventually be gods. The Bible says something so much better. It says, no, God will continue to be God. Man will continue to be man, but God will come upon man. No way! It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is a test of the Jimmy Hicks broadcast system. This is Wretched Radio. Let's see if somebody's been paying attention as of late, shall we? Jimmy, I've been making some promises, promises as of late on Wretched Radio. Can you recall one of them? Uh, In regard to, I don't know, say, relation (laughs) between church and state. Oh, you're not going to talk about it. Wow. I'm shocked you remembered. That's exactly right. I made a promise. I... I remember. I'm just going to kind of sit in the weeds and watch as this conversation unfolds a little bit. And I'm going to stick with that promise. I happen to, however, have an old sermon from 1989 from a fellow named John MacArthur. He's he's pretty good. I've read some of his stuff. Submission to Civil Authority, Part 1, Tackling First Peter. So, Jimmy, if I just read what the MacArthur fellow said, I'm keeping my word. You're clear. Thank you. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether the king, governors, because they are sent to punish evildoers and praise of those who do right. That is the will of God, that you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the Joe Biden. That would be an updated paraphrase of the king. MacArthur, the point of the whole section of exhortation is that we Christians are to live in such a way that our exemplary lives stop the mouths of those who criticize our faith. In other words, he agrees with something we've been saying here. Persecution is evangelistic. It is about people getting saved because of our response. He wrote, it's essential that you live your lives in such a way that your testimony becomes believable. That the transforming power of Christ is made evident not only by what you say, but by what you are. We are in a different battle. This is a different game. And I get it. I really believe me. I get it. We are a comfortable lot, aren't we? It doesn't matter what socioeconomic level you are at. You've heard these stats before. That we in the West, we live better than anybody ever has. Most likely. The level of ease and comfort we have, I think, surpasses anything that King David enjoyed. He didn't have running water, air conditioning, heat, transportation the way that we have it. We're comfortable. And when that comfort is threatened, I get it. There is a... ah, I got to rise up. That doesn't seem to be Peter's take on the subject. MacArthur writes, we're aliens in the world. We live at a different level, a heavenly kind of life. We live the life of God on a supernatural plane. We are unearthly. We are heavenly, disentangled with the world system. 
setting our affections on things that are above. And MacArthur points out rightly, there is an inherent danger baked into the idea of being heavenly minded. You do potentially become no earthly good. I don't need to be concerned about this. I don't need to worry. It's not my business. I'm just going to heaven and that's what this is all about. So, K Sarah, K Sarah. That's not what MacArthur says. If we get too carried away, we become utterly indifferent to the world in which we live. So our alienation from the system is balanced by the demand of proper citizenship. I think it is to help people to be a good neighbor who loves, who helps, who serves in whatever capacity the Lord has called you to. God's people were to live in humble, submissive way in the midst of a hostile, godless, Christless, sinful, wicked, accusing, slandering society. We are never called by God to engage in it. Never. Engage in what? Insurrection. There are more and more people who are talking about that. There are more and more people that are Christians that are saying, yep, We've, we've crossed the line, and that is needed. I'm reading more and more articles about that, which is why I'm just reading John MacArthur, who actually starts the idea of submission to authorities in the Old Testament. Proverbs 24, my son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly. Do not associate with those who are rebels. Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile. So he sent them. They're there because they violated the Mosaic covenant. God has them there because he makes good on his word. MacArthur writes, they were in a pagan land under a pagan ruler, the king of Babylon, pagan to the core. And God says, the God of Israel to all the exiles who I've sent there, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat the produce, take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters. In other words, carry on, live, get along in the pagan culture in which you currently inhabit. Inhabit, live. Verse 7, and seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Whoa. So rather than disrupting, seek the peace of the city because you will know peace. Become the agent of disruption, and you will know disruption. That's from the Old Testament. MacArthur then fast forward to his time. It's pretty interesting. This was actually preached in 1989. There were apparently some protests going on. There have been many protests, writes MacArthur, many acts of civil disobedience, many violations of the law, many revolutions, insurrections, and many subversive attempts to overthrow governments. In the name of Christianity? That's tragic. We are never commanded to do that. The command is simple. Submit yourselves. Now, we all know that there are exceptions that are found to that. But not doing what a government commands you to do that is sin, that isn't revolution. That's not rebellion. That's not even resistance. That's just saying, I cannot honor your request because your supreme authority and mine commands something different. And I obey him. And I'm prepared to pay the price. Paul, in Romans 13, writes MacArthur, said the same thing. And you say, but Paul didn't live in a world like ours. Yes, he did. 
He lived in a wretched, rotten, vile, ungodly, wicked society just like we do. And yet they were told to be subject to the authorities, to be subject to the powers that be because they were ordained by God. It's all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Quote, when a leader in this society says, do this, you do it. When the police say, get up and move over here, you get up and move over there because that's what the Bible tells you to do. Why? Because of the Lord. Because he calls us to obey them. He calls them to be the best citizens of all. Somebody comes along and says, well, how are we going to accomplish our goal if we obey the police? MacArthur, are we so foolish as to believe that if we disobey the police, which disobeys the word of God, we can accomplish something for the kingdom of God? What kind of weapons do we want to use? Carnal ones? You do not accomplish in society anything for God when you violate what God has designed for your conduct in society. This is to stoop to the wrong methodology. Then that is the end justifies the means and that the end can never be attained for it is God who is in control. So responding submissively to the authority is responding to God's ordained rule. Is this easy? No, it's not. I am the first to admit it. I like air conditioning and heat and running water. I like being knowing my house is going to be there when I get home tonight. I like it. I like food in the fridge. I get it. And I like that people aren't acting bizarrely. So when these things are threatened around me, this is precisely when I've got to kick it in gear. And that is exactly what this MacArthur fellow was saying. A second motive why I believe we are to submit is that we imitate the Lord. We imitate Jesus. He is our example. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. He lived under their unjust, unrighteous rule, yet he never attacked the government. He never attacked the rulers. He never attacked those in authority. He never led a protest. He never led civil disobedience. He never led a demonstration against Roman abuses. He never led it. Whew, this is hitting hard. He never led a demonstration against the sins of Jewish leaders, against the sins of Gentile leaders. He never even protested when they violated every law of justice in his own trial. He spoke only of the kingdom of God, calling sinners to repent, come to him, enter his kingdom. And he kept entrusting himself to the God who judges righteously, and he knew God would do right because God is sovereign. Robert Haldane, many years ago, wrote that the people of God ought to consider resistance to the government under which they live as a very awful crime, a very awful crime because it detracts from the glory of Christ. It shows Christians in anger, hostility, rebellion, that's not honoring to God, to see us in peace and graciousness, in kindness, does honor God. To see us in virtue, obedience, submissiveness, humility, that honors our Christ. But I'm not going to talk about these issues. Good. At least till the end of this segment. This is Wretched Radio. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. 
MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson has returned for season number two. As a matter of fact, you can find it available now at transformed.org. Transform season two demonstrates powerfully that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling. They show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things you likely are. Assurance, PTSD, anger issues, depression, discontentment, anxiety, self-pity, and much more. And you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all of life, godliness, and our emotional challenges. Transformed Season 2. Available now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa, would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Attributes of God The Bible tells us of God's faithfulness. Since God is truth, He has no desire to break His promises. Since He is omnipotent, nothing can cause Him to break promises. Since His promises are based on His eternal plan, God will always keep them. Scripture called God a rock, a fortress, and a bulwark, never failing because He is faithful. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hang, hang. <laughs> you getting a word? No, nah, just a little nasally. Uh, Working on the allergies. This is Wretched Radio. In about 15 seconds, your eyes are going to cross. How do I know that? Well, I happen to be reading an article at The Federalist. There's a new piece of legislation that is being floated to make abortion totally legal because pregnancy is slavery. Told you your eyes would cross. 
How in the world do we get there? No, being a mother to your unborn baby is not equal to slavery, is the article in The Federalist, which is really sarcastic, and I like that. After the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, the left has pushed for legal theories to make sure that elective abortions continue unabated. They just got a federal judge to consider one of the looniest legal theories. The sort of theory that shouldn't be heard outside of a mediocre law professor's late-night conversations with her cats after hitting the wine box a bit too hard. (laughs) You'd say, well, it couldn't be that bad. Yep, it's that bad. Claiming that pregnancy is slavery, therefore protected under the 13th Amendment. (laughs) The judge... Oh, wow. Appointed by Bill Clinton. There's a shocker for you. Ordered a briefing for the question of whether there might be a constitutional right conferred by the 13th Amendment. Here's how it breaks down, James Brown. The legal reasoning of this theory is that unwanted pregnancy is, in the words of the 13th Amendment, a form of slavery or involuntary servitude. Huh. Jimmy, before I read the rest of it. Uh Uh-huh. In order for somebody to be in bondage, in slavery, what might be some of the things that need to exist for that institution to be rightly defined? Uh, I, I don't know. You got to have a slave owner. That's true. You've got to have a person yeah. who's putting you in bondage. Correct. Back to the article, 13th Amendment says slavery, involuntary servitude, Big no-no. Because in an unwanted pregnancy, a woman's body is used by another. Oh, so there is another involved in this slavery called pregnancy. The whole thing just crumbles all by itself. Hold on. It gets even worse. You see that somebody is there without her consent. Oh, that's weird. I thought when you do that... That's the result, and you already gave consent because you did the thing that causes that to happen. For instance, imagine you go skiing. No, you go to a ski hill, and you rent some skis. You put them on your feet. You go up the thing, the deal that, well, you know, I don't want to sound like a sports show, but what what is it, a chairlift? You go up a chairlift. Yeah. yeah, you get to the top of the chairlift, and you aim your skis down the hill, and you use your poles, give yourself a shove, and while you're racing down the hill, you say, I didn't give permission for this. Well, actually, when you did all those things that preceded the skiing, you consented to skiing. Ditto pregnancy. No one at the time of the 13th Amendment would think that it included unwanted pregnancy as a form of involuntary servitude. And they were right. It is madness to regard a developing human in the womb as an intrusive stranger with no claim upon a woman. It is crazy to believe that the ordinary natural processes of human reproduction are the moral and legal equivalent of slavery. But here we are. And it can make you bonkers. And it can make you want to fight. Which brings us back to John MacArthur. Now, Jimmy, you thought it was Tiananmen Square because that took place in 1989. Correct. Uh, Let's find out together, shall we? Okay. This is MacArthur. 
I believe it is sad to see Christians who set the example of public civil disobedience, Christians who set the example of the violation of law, Christians who harass the police. Romans 13, verse 5, Paul explains Peter's point. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection. It is necessary. This is not optional. This is not optional. It is necessary. It is necessary. I'm not repeating him. That's what John MacArthur preached. And I think he gets to what it was. He talks about whatever the thing was that caused the police to do some sort of a crackdown. When the police do what they do to uphold law and order, they are ministers of God. It doesn't mean they don't abuse that. Sometimes they do. It doesn't mean they're they're personally Christians or personally more moral than anybody else. It means that their function as an agency with human life is to fulfill God's ordained role of keeping order. And if a person obeys them, does what is good, he has no reason to fear. But if he rebels and protests, then he has every reason to fear because of the wrath of God, because they are ministers appointed by him. So if you rebel, you should be afraid. Apparently, Dr. MacArthur doesn't see an exception clause in Romans 13. I understand perfectly and am 100% sympathetic with the cause of anti-abortion. I think it had to do with abortion in Los Angeles, if I had to guess. Okay. He says, it's a sin of the worst kind, but I do not believe that the solution is to violate the law of God. If we rebel, we should fear. No. He cites the exceptions. What if they command us to do what God commands us not to do? Or vice versa. Well, you don't obey. You obey God, not a minister of God. Quote, when the government asks you to do the opposite of what God asks you to do, you have no choice but to violate the government and then to comply with whatever they ask and bear your punishment. If the government said you're not allowed to preach, I'd preach anyway and suffer the consequences. But that's not resisting and rebel. The, 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 the resisting and rebelling has this attitude of fight. No, no, we're, we're, we submit, according to MacArthur, because I'm not commenting on this, if you recall, because I'm keeping my promise here. We, we submit because they are ministers to do what is right. And, and he would say, though, if they tell me not to preach because of Acts 4 and chapter 5, I'm not going to rebel or resist or revolt. I, I have to obey God instead. That's a radical distinction, radical in this entire conversation. And then I'd accept whatever God brought about. Do you realize Paul never resisted arrest? Never. They put him in stocks. Do you think they had to wrestle him in? Do you think they had to have three guys carrying him, dragging him because he was lying limp on the dirt? No. He went and he put his hands in the stocks and he sang and God shook the whole earth. And they had a revival. A lot of people got saved. The church started and he walked out of the jail. You see, the weapons of his warfare weren't carnal. He didn't need to lie in the dirt. He knew the one whom he served and he knew how you deal with those issues in the power of God, not the manipulation of men. If God is for us, who can be against us? And if the Lord says, these are your weapons, use these. These are the weapons that you need to use. Truth, yet boldness, courage, obedience, submission, love, kindness, charity. Wield those because those are our commander's weapons of choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 
although we walk in the flesh, we are in a body, we're in this world, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Those are our weapons, and they are divinely powerful. You probably don't need another story to make you bonkers. We have enough agitation. We have enough gunpowder to cause us to explode. And it is in these moments when we need to find ourselves being under the authority of the word. We just have to believe God says, I'm winning, I'm going to win, and this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to accomplish what I desire to accomplish, building a spiritual kingdom that will one day, yep, it will reside on a physical place, but I am building the church, and this is how I want you to do it. We're not commanded to resist and to revolt and to rebel. We're commanded to submit, be obedient. And when the government goes against what God commands, I'm just quoting MacArthur. I'm paraphrasing MacArthur. When God commands us to do something, the government says, no, we want you to do it this way. We obey the commander-in-chief, which is God himself. Furthermore, and it's the same thing as they're causing you to sin or asking you to not do something that you're commanded to do. If they overstep their jurisdictional authority into the authority of the church, then we simply tell Mr. Caesar he has no place here. He has no business inside of the doors of the church, which is the most intense assembling of the presence of God on this planet, the local church. Eyes crossing. Yeah, I get that. Comfort, threatened, we're feeling it more and more, aren't we? And by the way, he didn't tackle every aspect, every nuance, so don't start poking holes in it. His point is clear. We are citizens of a different kingdom, and we are to act the way that our king says. This is Wretched Radio. Books of the Bible. God called the prophet Jonah to preach repentance in Nineveh. Jonah fled, but he could not outrun God. He was cast into the sea and swallowed by a great fish. Jonah repented, and God spared him. Jonah then preached in Nineveh, and they repented. God is compassionate and merciful, and he is calling men from all nations to repentance. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. You're going to think we planned this, Friel? No, we're not. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. This is Wretched Radio. That is Alistair Begg, uh, the little sermonette snippet. Friel, it's either a sermonette or it's a snippet, but it can't be both because that would be redundant and repetitive. And saying the same thing over and over again one more time, Alistair Begg, 2 Corinthians 5. We know he's talking about remembering the invisible, not the stuff we see, but the stuff that is eternal. That's where our focus should be. If, if we cite some sort of outpouring of the Spirit that meets the biblical criteria, 
We can be encouraged by that. We can rejoice in that. But the normative means of God keeping us steady, not like an EKG, not like the stock market, which actually these days is pretty much always aiming downward. It's, it's, it's a stable sort of affair. And on occasion, you're going to hear something. You will worship and singing worship because Jimmy will tag me on it if I don't qualify exactly what worship is. Thank you. You're welcome. That's, that's groovy. But the normative pattern for the believer is you're just steady Eddie. You're just grinding along. Now, you want to be encouraged. This might not give you a buzz, but this will encourage you. Let's just say you've been in the faith for a bit. You have been walking with the Lord. You've been faithfully reading the word. You're a member of a local church. But that internal fire, it seems, it seems to have dimmed a bit. And you'd like it kindled. Well, before you conclude that your fire is being extinguished or almost out, have you been persevering? Are you still reading it? You're not as excited as you were, but you'd love to read it more. Remember, this is the way that we should be asking the question about our sanctification. Not, it's not that we don't ask, are we progressing? But do I want to progress? Is it my desire to read more? Yes, yes, it is. That, that, that gives you assurance. And as you go about the business of being obedient, you still love your spouse, you serve your spouse, you love your kids, you're teaching them about Jesus. Even if you're not, I'll just use a, the vernacular of the peasantry, you're not buzzed. That should encourage you because you're persevering. No, it's not like, woohoo. Like perhaps it once was, that is so unsustainable. And that is why all of these concerts and events that are intended to whip the kids up, it's like, ugh, you're just setting them up for failure, like long-term deconstructing failure because they're under the impression, I got, I got to get whipped up if I am not feeling this super high. It's, it's like a drug that we're feeding the kids. And then and they, they go through withdrawals and then they think, well, I guess I don't love God because I don't stand for four hours during the hypnotizing music with my eyes closed and feel all excited. Well, not during intermission because that's about a half an hour long and they've got some good stuff for sale out in the lobby and we've got to use the restrooms. But otherwise, I go to that thing and I'm just entranced. But then I leave and that goes away. It's because that's not God's means for making sure that we don't lose heart. Consider going backwards. Always good before you jump into a sermon like Alistair Begg, who is talking about not losing heart. That, that, that we understand what it means really to worship. you got to go backwards. So this is 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Okay, so he was talking about not losing heart earlier. That, 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 that we are supposed to be those who are conquerors. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What is that renewing? Is it, ho, 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 yeah, baby, I'm safe. No, not that. He's keeping you steady. He's keeping you firm. And this should encourage you. It should keep you from losing heart. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Aha. 
So the focus is on up, not inward, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, they're temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. By the way, you might need that word today if you are really distraught over the state of the nation. And maybe you you weren't as enthusiastic as the president of the, at the State of the Union address. And aren't you supposed to put the State of the Union at the beginning? He kept it to the very end. And then, sorry, the audacity to go, yeah, the debt, it's exploded and inflation is terrible. And then the shipping lines, everything is a debt. Look out for those balloons. We don't know for sure what they are. But because. American people are strong. The state of the nation is strong. I do not think that word means what you think it means. If you're feeling like, oh, this is another reminder, and you will find them woven throughout the tapestry of Scripture. Look up. Look up. This is what Isaiah did. Just sent out a newsletter on this. In the year King Uzziah died, why do we need that nugget? It is because we understand what's going through the minds of the people, what the people are feeling. Whoa, this guy has reigned for 52 years, and it has been a glorious reign. You could easily argue that it was under Uzziah that Israel experienced the greatest levels of prosperity. And he's about to die. It appears that Isaiah was writing this before he died rather than afterwards. But nevertheless, same point. People are in a panic. And what does Isaiah do? Look up. Look up. See a vision of God calmly seated on his throne, not in a panic. If you're troubled because of what's going on around you, all of the, the Romans 1 insanity, which is what it is, look up. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't ever do things here. That's ridiculous. But to not be troubled, look up. Look at the things that are eternal. Your general is not having a meeting with the other generals to determine what's the next play. How do we get out of this situation? America is crumbling. Anybody got any ideas? Jesus isn't in a panic. This is his plan. And you might be thinking, well, hold on a second. It's my kids. I don't want my kids to live in this world. That might be, but apparently that's not God's desire. We have a tendency. I know the feeling. I'm a parent. I'd, ra I'd rather go through the tough stuff than my kid. And after all, isn't that what helicopter parenting is all about these days? I'd rather go through that. And I feel that. But apparently, as things continue to devolve, and they are, and they're going to, because we're not going to get people to accept Christian morals unless they are Christians themselves. Apparently, God wants my kid to be in a worse season than what we're going through. You got to grasp that. You go, no, but but there's, I still sniff them. They're just my little babies. They're, they're, yep. And this is their time. God has predetermined, this is when I want them born for such a time as this. Your kid is Esther. And it is under control. And this is when God wanted your child to be born. This is when you were supposed to be born. Don't panic. Don't freak out. 
Now, we're aware of this. I, I get it. It's, it's not an either-or proposition, but the scale is tipped towards staring at eternal things. The verse continues, For we know that if our earthly temple, tabernacle, this tent is destroyed, hey, look at how that word in 2 Corinthians from Paul how it echoes what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, that you are a temple of God. And your kid, if God saves them, they're going to be a temple too. And God is fully aware of those that he inhabits and in, with, in whom they, he dwells. They're, they're not going to be lost in the shuffle, nor are you. For we know that if our earthly tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Remember the context. We aren't losing heart. How do you not lose heart? How do you stay revived in that you're just consistently encouraged? You're not whoop-de-doo, but you're just consistently encouraged. You're thinking about eternal things. That's what Peter did in 1 Peter 2. Think about eternal things. This is, this is about more than what is going on here. You want to you do something that will encourage you? Go read Isaiah 40 and just take a look and see how distinct God is from government in that. They come, they go. He's reigning soundly, authoritatively, perfectly, not just careening out of control because government, they're just, I know they're a big deal to us. I get that. I'm not trying to minimize that perspective, but from his perspective, if I could quote the Hebrew, <laughs> nation, <laughs> our God is in the heavens and he is doing exactly as he pleases. And you don't need to panic if you are staring at him as he dwells in you a temple. This is Wretched Radio. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series, hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson, has returned for season number two. As a matter of fact, you can find it available now at transformed.org. Transformed season two demonstrates powerfully that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling. They show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things you likely are. Assurance. 
PTSD, anger issues, depression, discontentment, anxiety, self-pity, and much more. And you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all of life, godliness, and our emotional challenges. Transformed Season 2. Available now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives? That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is exhortation, the spiritual ability to encourage, comfort, and admonish God's people. Whether God's people are oppressed, confused, or in error, God has provided the gift of exhortation to comfort, urge, and correct them. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Permit me to answer the question that you've been asking, yes. Yes, I am going to play the Alistair Peck clip. This is Wretched Radio, 2 Corinthians 5. Your external temple can be wasting away, but never forget, the eternal God is dwelling within your temple. Therefore, you do not lose heart. Verse 1 of chapter 5, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. We know, we know. The Christian faith uh, engages our minds. This is something that we have to keep reminding ourselves of so that we don't allow our minds to fossilize and that we continue to be sharpened and to make progress. I was at a church in California just a few weeks ago now, there back in go. August, I think it was, time flies. And I went there, I had a Sunday free, and I was staying with friends, and I went down to the church, and I was excited because I get to go now, and I don't have to do anything at all except do whatever they tell me to do. And so I sat there, and I waited for it to begin. And it was quite fascinating, actually. They had big screens, and they had a clock on the screens. And when I got in, it said five minutes and I'd only been in about two seconds, and you won't be surprised, it said four minutes and 58 seconds. And uh, then it counted down, and eventually when it's counted down, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and just right on the moment of time, the band began, and, and I was waiting for David Letterman at that point. Anybody, I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know what was going to happen next. And then, and then eventually the band did what it did, and then the, the person who was to lead the, the praise, his opening gambit, was this. Hey, oh. how do y'all feel yep. this morning? Classic. Well, that was enough for me. I was ready. I, we could have had the benediction right there. That was so good. 
I thought, what kind of New Testament question is that? How do you all feel this morning? If I told you how I feel, especially in light of the last five minutes, you would question my, whether I was even a Christian at all. So don't ask me that question. <laughs> ask me what I know. Ask me what I know. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. Ask me what I know to be a verity that can deal with my soul. That's what I need. Don't make me sing songs about how I feel. Don't. The silly repetitive songs again and again. I just want to praise you. Lift my hands and say I love you. You are everything to me. Goodness, at half past eight on a Sunday morning, I'm barely ambulatory. I can't start there. And you want me to say that? I just kicked the dog and I don't even have a dog. I, I, I got argued with someone because they took my parking space. I never had spilled my coffee. I didn't read my Bible. I'm a miserable wretch. And now you want me to start here. How do you feel? I feel rotten. That's how I feel. What do you got for me? The answer, nothing. I got nothing for you. That's why you have to get yourself under the control of the scriptures. That's why it is what we know, the verities of the scriptures, which then fuel our hearts and our emotions and lead us on. Hence, praise my soul, the king of heaven. To his feet, thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing? Okay, now we've got something to sing about. For we've been reminded of truth. You've been ransomed. You've been healed. You've been restored. You've been forgiven. You're looking away from yourself. Now you're looking out unto Christ. And it is in this that we have something that fuels our praise. That is Alistair Begg getting as close to being... Whipped up. <laughs> Jimmy, I'm getting the distinct sense he was not a fan of the worship service that he went to. I don't think so. It was emotions driven. And we see that so much. No wonder why so many people are anxious. And I think there could be a reasonable correlation here. The churches that focus the least on the correct exegeting of scripture and they focus more on worship and mood setting are also the ones who are more inclined to be dominionists, to feel like we got to do stuff to make sure that these people stop behaving so wickedly. Instead of turning their eyes to heaven, knowing that God is under control, thinking about eternal things, then engaging temporally, because we remember when a society is devolving, when persecution is knocking on the door, persecution is evangelistic. That is what First Peter is all about. You are feeling trouble. It is painful. It is difficult. Watch your behavior. Grounded in the knowledge of all the things that Christ has done for us. Now you, you're a temple. The living God is dwelling in you individually and collectively in a mighty manifestation of God's presence on this planet through you and me. Whoa. Now respond well. Live in your dynamic well. Submit to your government. Submit to your bad boss. Submit even when you've got a husband who's not a believer, which has some implications. 
because how you respond underneath these sort of societal and marital and familial pressures is evangelistic that they might see it and ask about the hope that lies within you. And this is what is going on in 2 Corinthians 5. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope in these things. Don't let your heart be troubled. We do not lose heart. Now, here's 2 Corinthians 5, where we know that our earthly house, this tent, tabernacle, it's destroyed. We've got a building from God. So don't worry. You're going to go to heaven. Now, let's not become Quakers. Let's not become Amish, separate from the world, and feel like everything in the world is just to be shunned. No, we, we live in this world, and let's not pretend that pain isn't, you know, painful. And let's not eschew, Gesundheit, eschew medical treatments. That's not what Paul is after. He's he's begging and pleading with you to not lose heart by having perspective. If your if your temporal temple, this this one right now, if it gets corrupted, if it breaks down, you got a temple waiting for you in heaven. You're going to be dwelling with God. Don't lose heart. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. Being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. In other words, the groaning is it's a longing for heaven. That we might be clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You're right where you're supposed to be, Christian. And so are your kids. And so are your grandkids. Don't panic. He's got this. The trains in God's economy always run on time. In other words, God isn't like Italy or Spain, who, by the way, this is really cool. Spain passes law allowing people to freely change gender from age 16. <sighs> Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. God was fully aware of what Spain was going to do. Is he pleased with it? Not a chance. Is he in a panic about it? No. And you shouldn't be either. He's got this. Every <laughs> if, you, if you don't think that God is somehow going to pull all of this off, a la Revelation, that, that he's going to succeed in ruling and reigning on this renewed, restored planet forever and ever and ever again, consider the cross at just the right time. Every single thing that happened on this planet prior to the cross was orchestrated so that at just the right time, time jesus died for us he could handle that i don't know well what's going on in our country and in the universities oh and our government these crazy democrats i don't know should be in a pen i don't know that god's got this he's got it don't be in a panic continues so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We can be confident. This is the way that God wants it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be. Does that mean I like it? No. When evil men have sway, I've read a couple of 
commentaries on that ridiculous was it the Grammy Awards where Sam Sam some Sam Smith I believe yeah I think so yeah, dressed up like a devil he's singing in a cage with flames coming and it's just as perverted and all oh. yeah we're kind of bored you don't you don't shock anymore you, you it's when when the pride flag becomes a logo that corporations use to sell bags of Doritos Sin has become mainstream. <laughs> Shock is now the norm. You want to be shocking, Christian? Be calm. Be holy. Be set apart. And be confident that God has this. That is countercultural. And that is what we are commanded to do so that we might have shalom. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. 